Welcome back to the Active Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. As a reminder, Active is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is just one of the things that we do. So thank you for joining us here and continue to listen here for our upcoming events that are coming up that are open to the public and our Patreon that is slowly unfolding, <laughs> but will unfold. <laughs> Listen, we've been talking about the Patreon for a long time, but it's actually this time it's actually happening. It is. It is happening. It's it's on a train that can't come back to the station, but it's great. It'll be so much extra content and it it's fun stuff that we sort of don't get to do on the podcast because the podcast has a very specific sort of purpose and we get to do more kind of some fun stuff over there. Yeah. Please know that you can reach out to us and suggest topics or ask us any follow-up questions about episodes or just questions in general about screenwriting and this life that we lead and mm-hmm. that you lead. Um, you can do that at act2writers at gmail.com, all spelled out, or on our Instagram and Twitter and threads at act2writers. <laughs> Give it up, man. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, should we just get to it today? Look, I've had two sips of coffee. This is this is an unpredictable episode at this point. Unpredictable. It's early in the morning. Yeah. We're flying. We're, we're, we're ready to go. Josh, how long have you been up? Because I've been up for an hour. I've been up for about three hours. You're a machine. Which is both great and also not great because it's like you find, you, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I have to figure out some stuff in my life. <laughs> the lost look in your eyes right now. <laughs> we can get it. So, the, to, well, it doesn't help. Today we're talking about the sort of spec brain. Mm-hmm. That happens to you when you're writing a spec and the sort of stages of grief you go through <laughs> as you write, which is so kind of codified that it's in memes all the time now. And we're going to talk about that. But I think first we have some things. This week in writing. This week in writing. I was thinking of the movie Taken. Yeah, as one does. You've seen it, obviously. Yeah. You know the phone call scene? Yeah. Where, hey, you're going to be taken. Uh, I'm going to come after you. There's these guys, the ex, whatever Liam Neeson says. And then he talks to the people and he's like, I'm going to find you. Mm-hmm. And then he says, good luck. And then hangs up. So good. So I was thinking of that scene. Mm-hmm. And if that scene was not in Taken. Yeah. And if it was just kind of a different scene where... Liam Neeson's gone. He's trying to call his daughter. He can't get a hold of his daughter. And then he starts to have like a really bad feeling. He tracks her phone and he realizes she's been taken. But she he never talked to her. Like, let's mm-hmm. just say that's in an alternate universe, a worse version of Taken. Yeah. Is Taken the same movie? No. Or does this entire movie hinge on that one scene? If you just didn't have it at all and you... Even if you knew this guy has a particular set of skills and he's going to go get his daughter back, I feel like it's still, it'd be fine. It would be fine. That puts it over the top. It, it, the way we know he puts, it puts it over the top is because we all remember it. Right. But I think like it sets up so clearly in act one that this man will not fucking stop until he gets his daughter and he tells you his exact mission at the start 
nothing can stop this man and he has the skills to get there if we just kind of knew that and he he didn't sort of like state it so fucking clearly i feel like the drive of the movie would feel slightly less urgent or like yeah. motivated or i don't know there's yeah. something about yeah so, something about that speech right cuz i was thinking about that and john wick when uh, in John Wick 1, the Russian mobster, he's talking to his son. He's having a drink and he's like, you have just unleashed like the man who built this empire and it gives the exposition. Just made me think of how important those scenes are to those type of movies. And I was thinking for myself to like implement those in action movies or thrillers or whatever it may be is like you need the exposition of, uh, of those people. No, yeah. I think you're 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 absolutely right. I think people often producers, for example, studio execs will call them sort of trailer moments. These moments that like that speech was in the trailer because it again yeah. tells you so clearly what this movie is about. And there's a version that's hacky, right? So you do have to execute this in a way that is skilled and elevated for it to be truly awesome and to yeah. really uh, resonate with the audience but it does feel important to find moments and they're they're cheer moments right this is exactly what jj abrams talks about what cheer we love to talk about it's a cheer moment that's like a fuck yes moment i am so on board with this guy it's so fucking cool and it's cool because there's a wish fulfillment aspect to it right like a we wish we had those set of skills so that we could hop on the phone and threaten yeah. someone very believably but when i call at&t and i'm angry there's no <laughs> backup that i have <laughs> i will find you <laughs> to go hunt them down <laughs> <laughs> but he does there's a wish fulfillment there and also of course the wish fulfillment of having the skills and ability to go rescue someone that you love who's in trouble i just love it important moments to think about in your own screenwriting and to a lot of times we talk about cheer moments i think we think about them in like second acts but they mm -hmm. can actually be character-y type cheer moments of I am a freaking Swiss army knife. I'm coming to get you and I will never stop because that's who I am and you've taken my daughter. Counterpoint, not totally a counterpoint, but do you feel like also though that, because I was thinking like, oh, like a Jason Statham movie, for instance, even that exact speech might fall on deaf ears. There's something A about Liam Neeson because he's traditionally a dramatic actor Ooh. And so there was something, there was another element there going on just by the nature of him being him. And I think casting becomes very important for such things. Like Chris <laughs> Nolan talks about casting Liam Neeson as the bad guy in Batman because yeah. he had never been a bad guy in Batman. And then also casting Gary Oldman as uh, Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> um, <laughs> my mind went blank. And that's because that's also playing against type. And I think that can be really an, a really important tool. But B part of this is the setup, if I recall, and I don't remember taken very well, but it's very, Liam Neeson is very kind of low key yeah. in the whole opening of that. He's like a bodyguard. He's not a great dad or he's like kind of an estranged dad a little bit. There's just like a tonal shift that happens in that speech that I think is what's key to that speech. Mm-hmm. That's all. There, okay. there are more elements than just the speech, I guess. If if we ever had the brain power, we should break down key moments like this in movies that made movies what they are. I love this idea. Yeah. Someone write this down. Iconic <laughs> moments. <laughs> that's a topic. Icon yeah. No, that's fantastic.
All right. So my This Week in Writing comes from a conversation I had with my manager recently this week. And because she's also a producer on things. And so as a producer, she, of course, hears pitches from people. And so she had sent out a book and was hearing pitches from writers on how they would adapt this book into a TV series. And she says the first pitch she heard was really great, but it was exactly what she wanted. It was exactly what she envisioned for the show. And she sort of, A, realized maybe my version is kind of boring or kind of now that I'm hearing it like pitched out to me, there's something very sort of literal as an interpretation of the book because again, she's not a writer. So she doesn't have the writer brain to like really think outside the box in a lot of ways, maybe in specific ways. And she's very good at when we develop something together, you know, coming up with cool ideas that way. But in terms of, you know, creating a whole show, that's not her expertise. It's producing. Is this current day? Yes. Could she do this during like striking times? This is with British. These are British writers. Her company is British. These are British writers. Um, So they're not (laughs) the WGA. Um, but good point. Good catch. <laughs> yeah, I just had to clarify. Just yeah, had to clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not crossing a picket. And then she heard a second pitch from someone who like completely took a right turn, came in and said, these are parts of the story that I don't think will serve us in a TV show. These are the parts that will. This is what the pilot is. This is what the season is. And this is how we serialize it moving forward. Like This writer had a, a complete plan. And it was, again a right turn from anything she envisioned. And she was like, that's genius. And I related to the writer on this. And my response to her was, oh, that sucks as a writer. Because, and this is specifically what she said. She said, the first writer came in pitching exactly what they thought I wanted to hear. And then the second one came in being like, fuck you and what you think you want to hear. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's the one she wanted. And she was like, for her, her lesson was (laughs) that... She definitely realizes that she's drawn to the writers who take creative control of whatever they're pitching, whatever the idea is. They are using their creative expertise to do something unexpected. And that doesn't mean to say try and always do something unexpected and like that's that's how you're going to win win the pitch. It's more like she sees writers as the expert. They're the professional and they need to come into the room and show me that they're an expert and a professional. Think of it like a contractor coming to your house or something or just anyone you might hire to clean your house. If like, so you bring someone over to like clean your place and they're like, oh, is that the the Windex? Like, is it, do you use this for windows and then like something else for the countertop? You're like, this person has never cleaned anything like their own place, <laughs> right? But if someone comes in, is like, boom, 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 I know exactly what I'm doing, you obviously hire that person. It's the same with writing. And it's a reminder for writers. And like my takeaway was to go in with just what you want to do because it's your vision and your voice and they'll respond to that or they won't, right? Like, But I find that in my year of pitching that we talk about when I did 12 pitches every month in a year and got none of those jobs, I was always second. I was a trying to pitch for my life because I needed a job or I was yeah. going to lose my apartment. But I found that I kept trying to pitch to what I thought they wanted it to be. And as soon as I started pitching what I loved without regard of what they thought they wanted, because they actually don't know what they want. Then I started like really exciting people and really starting to get jobs <laughs> and like 
getting close to things um, even closer. So I find that really interesting. I agree. I'm a little conflicted. What? Why? Listen, I agree that you should come in and pitch what you love. But have you ever encountered somebody, a producer, who's like, no, this is the idea. Like, I want to pitch based off of X, Y, and Z. And then you come in and kind of give something completely different. And they're like, you deviated from what I wanted. Like, I, I envision it like this. That's definitely a risk you take. But I think the greater risk is being lame. Oh. So the writer one pitched the book as they probably like a little too A, B, C, D. Yes. Writer two pitched it as like A, G, F, N, Y, C. Like I, I see different versions of this. Yeah. But still like the core of the book was there. And I think okay. that's, I mean, obviously someone pitched like, hey, we're going to throw out the book and we're going to do this instead. We're, go- we're jumping all the way to Z. Then that that's also a no go, right? You need like the core of what the IP is in order to actually get the job. Um, but like the story that like really affected me in this was that I went on a pitch for a rewrite of something, and the directive of the company, the producers, was we don't want an extensive rewrite. We want no structural things. We want some dialogue and we want some character. That's it. And I went in being like. Fuck yeah, like character's what I'm good at. I'm going to nail this. Absolutely. A character pass? Like this is what my job could be, just doing character passes on shit and getting paid for it? Amazing. So I go in and I pitch exactly what they want, which is like really great character changes. And it did require some scene changes, but for most part, the structure was there. The person who got the job was someone who came in and completely upended the structure and was doing essentially a page one rewrite, which is exactly what they didn't want to do. So <laughs> like you kind of got to come in with what you love and what you believe in because either way, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, if you, uh, yeah, I guess the, the moral is if, if you believe in something and you love something and that's what you pitch, then that's the way to go because you're kind of being true to yourself, you're true to yourself, true to the pitch. And then you're also showing the confidence that I have a handle on what this could be. And yeah. if I do it my way, it's going to be great. And you have some blind spots and I had just filled in those blind spots. Yeah, I think it's, let me show you how, yeah, how much control I have over story and command I have over this. Don't worry, your property is fine in my hands. Okay, I like it. I'm nervous by your reaction though. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, I have anxiety. I, I just felt bad. You, you're saying that I felt bad for the first Oh, absolutely. Writer. I mean, I'm That's the all. first writer all the time. Because so. yes, because you've been in that boat where you're like, <laughs> but it's really. It, I'm just saying this as a writer or someone. If you're trying to pitch, it's really hard to get information. It's a skill that you probably have mastered at this point. It's a, like where, hey, Tasha, here's this book called, you know, Bright Lights. It's about these aliens that come down. You're like, okay, you read the book and you kind of pitch your version of the book, and it's it's hard to read something and just be like, you know what, I'm going to completely morph this idea into something kind of different but have the core story still be there and it's like that that's a very hard thing to do it's a Mm -hmm. it's an acquired skill to not it's like writing a spec i know we'll get into this but you know when you have your initial idea and you start writing things and if you write a draft out it's hard to go back and like change what you already have because you have an idea in place and that this happens to me all the time where sometimes i'll read something and i'll think I don't have an original idea here. I don't have something that's going to 
be surprising, that makes it important that this is happening right now. You know, the why now question, why now? Why is your script happening now? What is what is the relevancy? What is it going to tell the world when we when we put it out there? Like sometimes you just don't have that. And that's okay. It might mean that you just can't come up with. And this happens to me all the time with with my manager when um, I am in that pitch cycle. And I, I get some maybe a submission from my reps that there's an OWA out there, an open writing assignment, and would you like to engage? And I read the IP and I think, well, this is really good, but I don't know what the, the movie is. My manager will say, well, take a few days if you can't come up with something because she knows that sometimes you come up with something in the shower or in a dream and you wake up and you suddenly have it, Right. Um, she's like, if you can't come up with something in the next few days, we'll pass because you might not just you just might not get there. And that's totally OK. But some people might read this Bright Lights alien story and be like, holy shit, what if it was like this? And yeah. they just have it. And that's OK. That's OK, too. And sometimes that doesn't mean you're a bad writer. It doesn't mean you can't figure it out. It's just sometimes things hit your brain in a way that really inspires you. And sometimes it doesn't. OK, but. Oh. keep going on this but <laughs> I all I also know looking back at myself in those that 12 month period when I was pitching and losing I could tell I was trying to play it safe with my pitches and I was trying to keep it in a lane that wouldn't scare them because hey. like it wasn't too far from the book or it wasn't too much of me in there or whatever and I think that was actually the wrong choice to make all right this is the last thing about this it, in your pitches where you stop playing it safe did you come in and start and start with like I've made some changes, but here's why. Like if in your pitch or do you just pitch as if, fuck it, here's my idea. I've moved away from doing that that much. I I instead open with this is what I was really drawn to. This is the part of the book I was really drawn to and that spoke to me and maybe a little bit of of why or how it spoke to me. And then I'll launch into the pitch and the pitch will speak for itself about what I'm sort of removing from the book and what I'm keeping because then it also like keeps them involved in a story rather than thinking like oh what she took out my favorite part or uh, what like how is she going to juggle taking that whole section out or whatever questions might pop up there that's just me all right we can move on okay i was talking to someone who's a writer but he's also a graphic designer and we were talking about getting notes and sometimes he would make things as a graphic designer and get these notes back from all of these people who feel like they need to contribute and just have their voice in, you know, if you're submitting your design to a a company or whatever. And sometimes people would chime in just to be like, just to have their voice heard. And we were talking about that. And I was talking to that kind of started to relate that to with a script and you start submitting a script and maybe some producers might say things. People agree with people just to agree. So they're on Mm -hmm. an email thread or people say things just to feel important. I don't know how else to say that. The graphic designer was saying there was this trick he learned when he was in school where it was to make it make your design and put something very blatantly wrong in the design. So those idiots who just have to chime in to chime in and are a little insecure will be like, oh, there's a there's a like a blotch in the corner of this design. Can you remove that? Then you remove that and then their okay. notes are done. They have said what they wanted to say. Yeah. So naturally, I was like, could that ever be done in a script? And, you know, you add something that, you know, people were, are going to catch just so they feel like they have their their thumbprint, like something mm-hmm. you don't even want in a script. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, I don't like this. And then you take it out and then you actually get your way without having to 
your other notes and adjustments. Does that make any sense? It makes absolute sense. And I've heard that many writers do do this. Oh, like, I it feel just like seems like a, a lot of work to me. It seems <laughs> like, like a lot of work and it seems like a risk to me. But I feel like there's a story about J.J. Abrams doing it in the Lost Highlight. Oh, really? And also the Lost Bible, right? Do you remember that? Like, there was a lot of shit in the Lost Bible that yeah. they knew they weren't going to put in. Well, that's I think that that's that's like they put a bunch of things in just to appease the network. That's what it was. Yeah, I'm I'm conflating the stories. But I feel like, I, A, I've definitely heard writers do this. I don't have sort of the courage to do it because <laughs> I'm a perfectionist and to just have this glaring <laughs> problem in my script to serve some Machiavellian purpose is not really my way. But, I mean, I think it serves people who do it really well. <laughs> There's success stories. Um, I just God. don't. I, just, yeah, I just, couldn't bring myself to do it. If you do it as a I would love to hear if anyone who listens has done this before successfully yeah because i i just seems like you know you add a character or something you're like just you unravel the script yeah because also like what is the thing that you put in that's so glaringly bad that they note it like yeah is it is it as small as a line is it a whole scene that's like obviously terrible yeah I don't know. And I think I've also not maybe come across executives that are so bad that I need to do that with. So I wonder yeah. if I did, I would I would be like, I just got to get around these people. So let me find a way to do that. All right. Okay. So my, my story comes from Twitter um, where Kumail Nanjiani, Nanjiani posted something about how he was not reprising his role on Adventure Time because... Let me just read it. He replies to someone. He says, yeah, that's not me. I would have loved to have voiced Prismo again. He's one of my absolute favorite characters I've ever had the honor of playing. He is very close to my heart. Unfortunately, they never asked me to come back and voice him again. And I would have done it for free. And then the showrunner, Adam Muto, whose name I'm probably mispronouncing and I apologize. He replies to Kumail and says, Hey, we would have loved to have you back, but we were told by casting that several offers went out to your reps. We said we would be flexible in scheduling, but received a respectful past. Sorry, it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And I was just, as someone who tries to cast for animated shows and always hears passes back, it was just a very interesting insight into how the process actually is. And then... You know, there, this happens all the time to actors, right? I mean, you're you're married to a casting agent, so I'm sure you know <laughs> you know what that's like. Sure. I don't know. And there, there's also the story too that came out recently about Michael Sarah and Barbie, how he almost like wasn't in the movie because his reps pe originally passed, yeah. and then when they went again, they finally asked him, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we're we're passing because you know we know you don't want to work in London." And he's like, "What the fuck are you talking about? I will work in London to do this movie." Well, listen, this actually kind of ties into what you were saying with your your story with the manager of, you know, maybe people act the actors, maybe the agents are just listening to their clients. I'm not saying this is what happened. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. And the clients say, I don't want to work in London. Or I, maybe at that time, okay. maybe Kumail made a decision. I'm not saying this. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, yeah. just going here. I don't know. 
maybe he said like, hey, I, I really like this, but I want to move on and do something else. I want to do whatever it may be. And then now in hindsight, maybe not the best decision. I don't know. But a lot of times you're siding with the agents. I'm not siding with the agents <laughs> at all. But I just feel like that what you had read that as as someone married to a casting director, uh-huh. I, I feel like I must come to the defense of the often overlooked casting world. And well, but isn't that a frustration that she has is going to actors whose reps are like the gatekeepers for them <laughs> versus being able to like if she like I feel like sometimes if you can just get the script to the actor, they might want to actually do this role. It's perfect for them. It's a it's a side hustle, especially when I'm talking about animation. It's like a short like you're in the booth for three hours and you're done and you make some good money. But I feel like agents can often be the gatekeepers to jobs that you may really want. And yeah, I mean, maybe they have your best interests at heart. Hopefully that's why they're making these choices and they just kind of fucked up a little bit. But presumably also he like reported back to his agents being like, I really loved Adventure Time. It was so fun. Guys, can I do more voiceover work? Because if he says in his post that it's like one of the best characters he's ever played, I'm assuming that information got back to his reps. I mean, I think oftentimes agents, particularly for actors, don't want to take some their client to take something on and to take up time in their schedule because they're not making a lot of money off of it. Like animation isn't a lot of money for anyone, anyone really. So, yeah, I mean, I I actually have a friend, an actor who fired their reps or one portion of their reps because I think partially because of this, like they were passing on roles that the actor didn't want to do but he wanted to know about them and so like the the reps were like hey man you told us you didn't want to do this he's like yeah but i still want to know what's coming in but they were just actively passing so i i guess that and if we're now relating this to writing or any part of the industries like you need to make sure your reps have your best interest but it's hard not to know and yeah it is hard when they are the gatekeeper yeah there's a good news yeah because i do think as a writer, sometimes it's maybe surprising what I would want to do. <laughs> but, like they might be like, well, Tasha doesn't want to do a small romantic comedy set in Ireland. You're like, wait a minute. That's I mean, that's all I've ever dream. wanted to do. <laughs> but, you know, at this point, I feel like if uh, the strike ever ends <laughs> or in this current moment, I think actors will do anything. Like you could pay an actor or really anyone. <laughs> anything to do anything at this point um if you're in the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. that's true that's true i'm not siding with the agents i know i sounded like it maybe i am i am your company man (laughs) hey listen i just see both sides i'm down the middle and i will (laughs) respectfully listen and and have an open mind again i feel like actually siding with me is siding with your wife (laughs) What do you have against casting directors? I love casting directors. <laughs> My problem is with Asians. <laughs> yeah, but that tweet specifically singled out the casting that it was no, like casting agents. No, he said his reps. No, oh. and then the response was our our casting rep, like our casting director went out to your reps and your reps told our casting director that you weren't available and she kept going to you, but your reps kept telling her you weren't available. I believe the casting director. 
<laughs> I, I, I know that makes no sense. Nicole, he loves you so much. I, I'm just all in. Whatever my wife said. She doesn't even do it for the record. She does not work on this show or anything like that. All right, let's move on. Okay. I, as I mentioned in, I think, the last podcast or whenever, I went away for four days to just write, to just write my spec because I'm not great at writing specs. It takes me a long time. And I felt like I just needed to focus because when I was at home, I was experiencing a lot of emotional downs because Mm -hmm. of the strike and then a lot of distractions because I was emotionally down and I just wasn't getting stuff done. So I was like, okay, let me take four days to just go to a town where nothing happens. It's only a one like street town and literally all I could do is write. And I thought this will be great. And Josh was even like, you're going to finish your screenplay, which I did not, by the way. Spoiler alert. But I realized as as I was there that every day I was going through the kind of like five stages of being a writer and writing a spec. And so I thought we would just go through them because (laughs) I don't want other writers to feel like they're alone. (laughs) And that this is maybe just part of the process. And it's so much part of the process that it's kind of been codified out there. Um, that other writers talk about as a joke of like sort of the five stages, which I'll read sort of what the joke is, which yeah. is, this is great. It's the greatest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And then you get into it and it's like, whew, this is, this is tricky. This is trickier than I thought it was going to be. And then you get to the midpoint, which is, this is shit. This entire script is shit and it's terrible. And then very quickly into, I am shit. I am shit. <laughs> I can't yeah. do this. And then at the end, you're like, hmm, well, no, actually, this is this is kind of okay. So I went through this exact <laughs> this exact process. I went through this in the four days, and I thought we would just talk about sort of each stage of this writing your spec process. Yeah, let's get into it because you know the the first one being like this is great is obviously you're writing an idea or you start writing something that you love. Right? Mm-hmm. You have this like idea that maybe has a great hook or whatever it is. You're like, you know what, this is going to be awesome. I love this idea. It's so much fun. But it's still all in your brain. And it's so great in your brain because you can see the movie in your brain. You can probably yeah. see like the highlights because obviously the act two is probably a big open black hole. And you can just mm-hmm. see like the beginning, or, like a middle point where it's like develops and it's so cool and like an action scene or something. And then, oh my God, the climax is such a great payoff. This movie's going to be the best movie of all time. That's a great feeling to have. So good. And- I wish you never lost that feeling when you're writing a spec. I feel like where writers can stop writing and writers who sort of maybe don't make it or don't get through things is because that transition to this is great to even this is tricky can be so terrible. It's like such a gutting feeling that they just quit. Like I had a friend when I was uh, coming up and I still wanted to write novels who was a prose writer and he was such a good writer, one of the best writers I'd met. And his big problem was he just wouldn't write. And I'm like, why? <laughs> Everything you do is is great. And he was like, because I'm too afraid. Mm, I'm like, what the sucks. fuck are you afraid of? And he's like, I'm just afraid it's not going to be what I think it is. And that was always confusing to me because, I don't know, uh, that fear never really stops me. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a fear. So I'm just telling everyone out there who has that feeling, it's okay. It's part of the process. Keep powering through the fear. The It's tricky part. It does get tricky because you have that big idea 
or you have, you know, I want to tell a story about my mother or like a father-son story or whatever it is. And it seems so great. And then you start outlining or you even start writing and you hit act two and maybe you can even make it through act two, but then you hit the midpoint of the movie and you're like, oh, wait a minute, what happens now? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of times people start falling apart, myself included, where you start really bumping and you're like, ooh, okay, wait, maybe I don't have a full story here. Oh, wait a minute, what's wrong with my act one? Oh, yeah. shit, I already wrote act one. Oh, God, I have to go back. You know, and that's where I think the it's tricky part really, really starts coming into play is when you get into act two. A hundred percent. I feel like my act ones are so solid. My act twos are a gaping hole, and that's where I struggle and really all of this, the this is shit, I am shit, <laughs> all comes in act two. And I am on a high when we hit act three because I always know how to wrap things up. But the this is tricky part, yes, definitely came for me in the act two period when I realized that as my character was moving through the scenes, because in the outline, I was like, it's fine. Like, I get what this movie is in this outline. But as soon as the character had to actually move within the outlined scenes that I had, I realized she didn't have enough character or like enough motivation or enough reason for being to yeah. get her through things so that I now realized I didn't have what this movie was about or like that it was still about multiple things. Cause that's been my problem with the spec is it's, it want, it wants to be a mother daughter story. It also wants to be about a story of a woman who's like meek and becomes strong and et cetera, et cetera. And um, that definitely, it, you can't escape those things once you get writing. Like, I feel like you can escape it in an outline. You can kind of hide it and convince yeah. yourself it's fine. But once I got in there, that's where, yeah, I had to move her believably from one scene to the next and progress her story. And that's where it got tricky. Sometimes I'll write scenes and I'm like, writing's really hard. Like, what is this scene even doing? Well, what is, what is it? They're eating dinner, talking. There's yeah. this, this is the worst version of this scene and they're yeah. like, no, it's the best version of this scene yeah so um yeah it's always it's the devil's in the detail right like it's always really hard even to set things up and be like what's the setting i don't i don't know. Point yeah well how do you so how do you get over if you create the dinner scene first and you're like oh my god this is so boring this is definitely not the right choice for what i want this scene to be but it's just the first thing that came to me do you just move on and come back to it or do you linger on this until you get it right? I try to move on, but I do linger. Like it's always in the back of my head. This actually recently happened. I've been writing my spec and I've been kind of pushing through the second act. And I knew in the first, in the opening scenes with like introducing my two characters, I knew they were wrong. As a matter of fact, this is a spec that you read. Uh, you just read act one and you you actually had the note, like, I want to see the kind of more of like their day to day and how some mm -hmm. of their issues are affecting them. And I, I knew, I was like, I need to go back. I'm going to have to go back. And it's lingered for months. And then just the other day, I was like taking a walk and I was like, wait a minute. I think I have a more interesting way to kind of introduce these two characters, but it forced me to completely think differently about mm -hmm. the first act. It didn't change much because like things were still the same in the second half of the first act. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, it took a while. So unfortunately for me, I'm the type of person that lingers and and I can I can move on, but 
but I lose sleep over the things that I linger on. I think that's everybody though, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I'm trying to get better at moving on because I know you can always just go back, but it's tough because I've always been the kind of writer who like for a big chunk of before I how before I was actually like writing as a career and just moving into those first couple of years, I would whenever I'd revise something or whenever I would like start something, so like say I wrote 10 pages, um, yeah. on a Wednesday and I come in on a Thursday to like write page 11 to 15. I was the kind of person who would open a new fi- file and start on page one and rewrite those 10 pages and then do page 10 to 15. Like I could not move forward unless I had a really strong everything that came before. And and working in TV where things have to move faster, I was always scared to get into TV because I thought there's no way I can write to that schedule. It's impossible. But it is possible. You just have to learn to let go of some things and know you're coming back to it. So I'm trying to get better. It's it's hard in a spec, I think, when there's no, I guess it's the no deadline part that makes it hard. Or to me, it's like it being so personal is what yeah. makes it hard to move on and just to just get it done because it feels like then you're just paying lip service to this idea. I don't know. It, I, I still struggle with it. And for me this week, because I, I wanted to just plow through the script and get it done, I did actively practice moving on from a scene even though it wasn't ready. And wow. um, I ended up getting to the, the scene just before the break into act three. Do you want to know what I'm working on right now? Spec check, mid, mid-episode mid spec check? No, no, no. Well, uh, it, well, yeah, okay, I guess since we're talking about specs, but if I don't know how a scene looks, usually I get stuck on it. I'm like, I just have to write this out. I just have to write this out. But I'm just trying to move forward and sit, like be like, in this scene, Adam and Carrie fight. <laughs> and then just move the fuck on to yeah. the next scene. Yeah. Which is something that I think a lot of people can do that I'm trying to work on. I definitely did that exact thing in in this four-day period. I got to a fighting scene. I was like, this is going to slow me down so much. They fight. <laughs> and I'm going to yeah. come back. But there were a couple scenes where I realized the fight scene was the character turning point. And so I did have to write those, which slowed me down. It's also interesting, and I, I posted this. I was kind of doing like a spec check every day of how I was feeling about it. So you can kind of see the progression <laughs> as it yeah. went. Um, but at one point, I remember I I was like on fire. I wrote like 15 pages or something. It came fairly quickly. And then I got to a scene that was really emotional. And it was between the character and their dad. And they like haven't seen each other in 20 years. Their lives have changed completely. And it's a huge character shift for the main character, as well as just being an emotional scene where I really have to like live and how does the dad feel? How does she feel after seeing him for after so long that by like three o'clock or wherever I hit that mark, I was like, I don't have the energy yeah. to do this, but it's only three o'clock. What do I do? <laughs> All I have is like this beach and like sandwich stuff. I'm going to make a sandwich and walk on the beach. That's what I did. And I, and I tried to come back. Um, but sometimes you just have to kind of call it a day and then yeah. start fresh in the morning, which is what I really did. So the next thing <laughs> is, this is shit. This is yeah. terrible. Why mm-hmm. did I even decide to write this? I yeah. regret everything. Yeah. This sucks. Mm-hmm. This is where people really start 
you go to questioning Rattle. everything and start dropping out and like, you know what? Okay. I had a different spec idea and I, I'm going to go work on that now. <laughs> <laughs> that one's still great. That one over there. <laughs> that, that one. I still like that idea. Pretty much like clockwork, I think on the third day. So this is the third <laughs> bullet point in this, th- in this five stages. On day three, I'm pretty sure that's when I texted you. This is terrible. I hate it. I'm giving up. I don't know how to write. And I felt yeah. I wasn't joking in that moment. I was very serious. I hated myself. I thought I was just the worst. I was such a phony. And it's just further evidence that I can't do anything original. I just, my brain went haywire. Yeah. And then this is where you have to like just dig in and kind of remind yourself why you like this idea in the first place and, and just keep going. Yeah. You have to have forgiveness. I feel like you, you like really pep talked me. You were like, you will not give up. You <laughs> will power through. And you were like, this is much better than you think it is. You all, you already know that. And that's always the case, right? Like, cause you get to the stage and you know, it's just part of the process rather than a truth. So if you can try to remind yourself that this is just part of the process and these feelings aren't real or these thoughts aren't real, the feelings are real, the thoughts yeah. aren't real then that can be really helpful. And I did keep writing even though I hated all of it. That's hard to do. And you you also have to ask yourself why you feel this way. Like, is there something not working with the characters? Is there something not working with the story? And yes, it, that this it gets difficult because you have to be very honest with yourself. But also you have to, like you're saying, kind of be forgiving and, and just real with yourself to be like, maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe mm-hmm. this is better than I think. Like you really have to talk yourself out of this hole. Yeah, you definitely are overreacting. And I think part of it like that helped me get over it in that moment was when we were texting. I was like, look, I'm just going to send you up to break in act three. And I know it sucks and I know you're going to all hate it. But like, I just need to get through it and just get your thoughts. And you're like, yeah, just just submit that. And then we'll like we'll figure out what the issue is and we'll power through. It's like, oh, there's there is a path forward. And like, I don't have to turn into you guys the most perfect thing because of course even though i know that writers group is a safe space and we're all here to help develop bad ideas <laughs> into great ideas i still have this feeling like i need to submit something that is like foolproof because it still hurts to be like you clearly didn't think of this there there's no point to this scene it's like no i know there's no point to it i just need help <laughs> well yeah, I understand that. You also did take like a retreat. So there's a lot of pressure on yourself. You're like, I need to finish this. Yeah. I need to get this done. But yeah, I, and when you're submitting to anyone, like there's things that I've submitted to you guys where I'm like, this is just bad. I'm just, I just need to talk about this. And you just yeah. go in knowing it's really bad. And I do think at that point, and this is also something we were, we were texting about in terms of like how to get over the fear of submitting it to your writer's group or whoever your kind of like reading circle is. In, in this bad stage is kind of coming to them and being like, I don't need notes specifically. Like I, I this isn't like a final draft where I just need, need to shore up a few things and you need to point out that you don't understand this scene. I know that you don't understand this scene. I don't understand this scene. Yeah. I think what the notes need to be about, let's kind of pivot slightly and let's make this more of a brainstorming session where it's like, why isn't this working? Yeah. The note that it's not working, I get it why let's 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 talk through that and so i think that's what i'm going to do when we meet next week and hopefully we'll find a path through shit it's next week i gotta send it to you guys yeah no i'm excited for it and i well i guess going back to the 
the stages that we were talking about. We kind of wrap two of them together. I think they is, happen together. <laughs> they actually, yeah, this is shit. And then the next one is, I am shit. <laughs> and you were just kind of talking about it. Like, you were sending it and you're like, God, this is terrible. But then on a personal level, you start doubting yourself, your decisions, your choices. And this is why it's so difficult to write a spec is because as we kind of touched on, there is no deadline. There is no guarantees. There is no one who really is saying this is a good or bad idea with the exception of maybe your inner circle. And and then you're just like, I don't know how to write. I can't write characters. I, I just, I, sh- I suck. Yeah. I suck. And you just start hating yourself. Can I ask you, because you write more specs than I do. Is this your process every time? Or do you sometimes skip some of these stages? I don't even know anymore. So yes. <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, they... I have skipped them. I, you know, sometimes it's like, I won't get so hard on myself. Like, this is shit. I'm shit. It's, sometimes it's like, I'm not doing something right. I'm shit, but it's because I can't figure this out. Mm-hmm. Not like as a human being, you should just disappear. So it's really well, extreme. But sometimes yeah, I get yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. I think so. You're just like, I'm done. I'm clocked out. This is all I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm done in this industry. Be like does that happen every time because that's so exhausting it happens a lot <laughs> i wish you could see josh's face right now <laughs> the thousand yards stare <laughs> god i wish you could control some of these things yeah you just have to just be aware of it and yeah you know i was uh i don't know what i was reading or listening to or something but so a writer was talking about how sometimes the scenes that they write just depend on their days and and they will just, if they're having a rough go, they'll put their characters in a really rough spot. And oh, interesting. A lot of times it can lead to a really great emotional moments uh, because it's like where you're mo- very vulnerable. You know, mm-hmm. But yeah, specs are hard, man. Specs are hard. And then after the this is shit, I'm shit comes, actually, this is okay. Yeah. Do you know why that comes? Because you don't give up. Because you don't freaking give up, Tasha. You persevere. You keep writing. It, it, it's out there. It's done. You have you have finished. And even though you know this is a vomit draft and it's probably not that great and you're going to have to rewrite a whole lot of stuff, <laughs> you freaking did it. Yeah. You climbed to the top of the mountain. Yeah. You're going to have to do it again, but you climbed to the top of the mountain and you did not give up. Yeah. You finished the marathon. I did. And that's why... You just have to persevere and keep going. Yeah, because now I have something. Because now you have something. And before you had nothing. There's nothing. You planted a freaking tree in your backyard and it grew and it sprouted out money. <laughs> That's what this, happened. I love this plan. <laughs> the money tree. You planted it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So it's okay. This is okay. It's got problems, but we'll fix them. Yeah. This is all to say. These are all the everyone goes through these steps. Oh, I remember in the this is tricky stage, I texted you. I was like, because what I'm writing is kind of just a straight real world action thing. And I remember I texted you and then this is tricky stage, which is like day two. I was like thinking about maybe just adding magic. I think magic would fix this. <laughs> and you're like, don't you dare. <laughs> don't you do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah you were like i might combine this with this other idea it's like no that other idea was really great maybe i just made it this idea oh that's right you were that's right you were you were in a fragile state <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But do not put magic in this story. It would have unraveled everything, you guys. So thank thank the Lord for Josh. It's it's like it's like if the movie Heat suddenly turned into Harry Potter. I mean, not a bad movie. Wait a minute. <laughs> Heat meets Mary Harry Potter? Yes. Yeah. I'm in. But Heist yeah. Harry Potter. Oh my god. I'd write the fuck out of that. Yeah. So anyway. That's it. Those are the those are the five stages of, of the writing process. And I am absolutely convinced every single person who listens to this has gone through it. Yeah, of course. So That's just how alone. you deal with it. And just knowing that you have to uh just keep going. Yeah. Because at the end you're gonna be like, This isn't so bad. Yeah. Might not sell, might not anything might nothing might happen, but at least you have something. Yeah. Where you had nothing before. Amazing. Writers are amazing. All right, quote of the day. To gain your own voice, you have to forget about having it heard. Allen Ginsberg. Very apropos to what you just said. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram and threads or on Twitter, Tasha 3.0. I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. Mm-hmm.